Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jake Goldberg, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Great to be here. For many architects, it takes years to establish a firm that attracts the right clients. Architects have incredible vision and design talents, and many of us have learned how to build pretty successful businesses. But often understood and rarely discussed are the efforts placed on growing and aligning relationships with talented general contractors, GCs who understand design intent and the means and methods to execute can be an integral part of growing a successful architecture firm. For 35 years, Jake Goldberg, founder and president of Chicago-based Goldberg General Contracting, has been collaborating with leading custom residential architects. Chicago is known for its architectural legacy, and the demands placed on builders to execute are equally as pressured as those placed on us architects to create original designs. For more than three decades, Jake has learned the importance of strategically understanding what is needed to successfully partner with us architects. Establishing a professional design reputation takes years of talent, effort, and creativity. Relationships are integral to the successful outcomes of great designs, and learning to partner with GCs can help you achieve your goals of getting your unique designs built. And so I've invited Jake Goldberg to join me today on the podcast to have that conversation, to talk about 
how architects and GT GCs can successfully not just work together, but partner up to become more successful, to help one another build you know, more successful projects. And so uh, that's what I'm hoping to have that conversation today, Jake. Oh, it's great to be invited to join you, Mark. I appreciate it. Before we jump into that conversation, I want to know more about you. You said before we jumped on here and I introduced you this way, 35 years. This year will be 35 years for your firm. Um, and so I want to know where all of that started before, you know, before the 35 years, what inspired you to do what you do? What, what, how did you discover your passion for that? Maybe who and what inspired you to, to do what you do? Well, it is, it's hard to believe it has been 35 years. Uh, I started my firm fresh out of college at the university of Illinois in Champaign. And um, I was a liberal arts uh, econ student, but um, really enjoyed getting some introduction to architecture classes uh, at U of I and taking some real estate finance classes. Um, I always kind of have to speak about my mother and father when I think about how I got here. And my father was an architect who um, got, he was in the Navy and he, he got a, a G GI scholarship to U of I in Champaign. And he went, went there and did uh, less than a semester and was kind of uninspired by the architecture school there. And it heard a lot about IIT and Mies. Yeah. And so he gave up his scholarship to transfer to IIT. <laughs> um, and uh, my mom uh, was an interior, is an interior designer. And so I, it, you know, it was very much part of the dinner table uh, conversation to talk about design and construction and <laughs> the building department. And um, my dad, as a struggling architect, which um, I think many architects know, it's challenging to support your family as an architect, even regardless of how passionate and committed you are. So my dad, uh, when I was in high school and college, was doing some real estate work uh, to supplement his income. And uh, I grew up in Lakeview in Chicago and many of the surrounding neighborhoods were being gentrified. And my dad was buying sort of rundown apartment buildings. Some had some retail and cleaning them up, rehabbing them and, uh, you know, raising the rents and uh, just trying to um, make a rundown building, uh, bring it back to its maybe its former former glory and also, uh, you know, in, increase the value of his asset to either sell it or hang on to it, but in the vein of, uh, you know, supplementing his architect income. And that's really how I got started because I would go to these buildings. My dad was managing like 80 apartments and anything that broke or if like 
an apartment got broken into, we had to repair the front door or a pipe froze. We had to like learn how to solder and fix the pipe. That's kind of how I got uh, exposed to construction. And then I uh, became sort of the general grunt uh, foreman of a lot of these renovation projects of these, you know, low rent, low cost rental apartments. And that was really uh, my initial exposure. And then I, I really enjoyed being a carpenter. And so through high school and college, I worked as a sort of carpenter handyman, which I really got a lot of uh, satisfaction out of. Went to U of I, uh, wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but as I got close to graduating, was inspired by the idea of buying these sort of uh, beautiful older buildings that had been neglecting them, neg neglected, and bringing them back to their former glory. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, really, I was thinking I wanted to kind of get into real estate development. So I started my company uh, at 22 in 1987, and I started doing uh, small additions and like bungalow attic conversions. Uh, and, and I really just fell in love with the art of building for building's sake. Did, did a few small speculation real estate deals and learned very quickly how you had to have a, a, a strong stomach to put your money and your reputation on the line and then sort of wait for someone to buy a, you know, a property. If we did maybe like a condo conversion or a two flat or something. And it was very stressful and uh, risky. And the money that you stood to make was not necessarily um, that lucrative. So, and so I, I really just fell in love with, you know, working with the tools and, and building things and restoring things and uh, decided that I really just wanted to be a general contractor. And when I first told my dad, uh, uh, you know, maybe my first year out of college that I wanted to just be a general contractor, he actually tried to talk me out of it, <laughs> which is kind of funny um, because as an architect, he just realized how risky it was to be a general contractor and all the pitfalls of, you know, not getting paid or getting sued or running into problems. And so he, he really like was surprised and, and tried to talk me out of it. But in retrospect, it's just been um, really gratifying and it, it's been a great career. So the, the projects that your dad was doing um, renovating those buildings and you were, that was your first exposure to the, to the industry, getting in there and getting your hands dirty and, and sort of learning the trade. Um, was your father the GC on those projects? So he was buying them, designing them. Was he also managing the construction on those projects, managing the yeah, team? He was the boss and he would, he didn't really have the budget to hire a GC. So it was kind of like, you know, you just take it all under your wing and you just do it yourself. So interesting that that the exposure to that work 
inspired you sort of the, the seeds of the origin of what you do today, was there any possibility that you would go to the design side? Both your mom and dad are designers. Your dad's an architect, your mom's an interior designer. Was there ever any thought that, that you would go to the design side? Um, actually, no, <laughs> which sounds surprising. But I, I think that um, our reputation as a firm is uh, very much associated with the fact that we have the design um, perspective of what we build because of my background and our sort of architectural interest, you know, not just uh, about physically building things, but um, the, like you said in the beginning, the legacy of Chicago, I, I learned, you know, early on about how prominent Chicago is in the world of modern architecture. And, uh, you know, it's, we live in a very relevant city that, uh, is recognized worldwide for uh, the achievements of the architects here. And so, so the, it, the short answer is, even though I'm not a designer, nor do we ever try to profess to be a design build company, I think a large, uh, a, a big reason that architects and designers enjoy working with us is our understanding of the context of the design because you know it's it's um putting light in the shadows and all the execution of the details uh in reference to understanding where the design is coming from is what i think uh is one of the things that really distinguishes us yeah for, as an architect, that is so important to find a a partner, a contractor that isn't just a good builder, right? Somebody who's could be great at at putting the pieces together, the means and methods. But but to find somebody like you, Jake, who who not only understands architects and 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 the mindset of an architect, right? Your dad's an architect. You grew up seeing how architects think, right? Architects think differently. And to, to uh, have that skill as a general contractor um, is so beneficial to the architect. Um, when I, I grew up in a blue collar family, my dad was a auto mechanic. My uncles were, were contractors. Um, when I wanted to, to become an architect and I told my uncles that I was going to be an architect, they were like, why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they 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 had conflicts with architects, right? Yeah. And it was tradition that architects and contractors didn't get along. They didn't understand right. one another, and and so I I grew up that way. And so when I decided to become an architect, the first thing I did was go get a get a job with a contractor because I wanted to understand why, right? I wanted to understand how contractors thought about architects, and that benefited me so much my profession to, to understand the mindset of the general contractor and you have that same thing but the re reverse of that you you 
you understand how architects think so you can have that conversation and be able to not only design to build great buildings but understand the importance of the design and the reference of the design and the origin of the design um, it makes a contractor like you so valuable so when we look at a set of drawings uh, today which is you know we we our company's funny in that we definitely prefer or have a um, preference for modern construction, but we also have a reputation for historic preservation. And the first thought was be kind of like those two don't necessarily go together because they seem maybe to a lay person to sort of be opposites. But I think uh, when you get into either, you realize that of why it makes sense that you could potentially be good at both. But um, when we get asked to look at a set of drawings today, often, let's say for a modern house, often um, they're, they're the schematic stages of design because we often get asked to be part of the team or seriously considered part of the team in the early planning stages, we can look at a plan for a new house or commercial space and sort of see beyond the schematic drawings because one, we have the context of having built so much modern projects, but then also we may have a pre-existing, we very may well have a pre-existing relationship with that particular architect and know how they like to detail things. Yeah. So we're not just sort of looking at the literal lines on the page or on the screen and just looking at what's in front of us, but we're seeing everything that's not in front of us, meaning from a pricing perspective or a means and methods perspective due to our experience and our context of what how we're seeing the design, we know what we're going to have to do to make that, uh, fle flesh that out and make it a reality uh, for all the things that aren't there, you know, especially in the schematic stages. So that like when we put a budget together, the designer and the owner know that we see the full picture uh, and, and are gonna hopefully capture it with, let's say the budget uh, or the schedule or bringing in the right tradespeople to pull it off and so it's it's all about what's not there <laughs> yeah yeah very much so yeah i i've found that in my experience i've done high-end residential for years and there are two different methods uh, that contractors use one is looking at the drawings and and pricing the drawings right and knowing what's missing but not pricing what's missing and, and try to get the job that way and then make it up later on change orders on all the things that they know are missing. They'll, they'll catch it later. And, right. they, and, and maybe they make more money that way and maybe they don't, but they certainly don't make a better relationship because that 
ends in conflict, just conflict over and over and right. over again. Well, to our own detriment, we tend to be, uh, Jeff Barry is my partner. We tend to um, sort of over, uh, over anticipate because we know, and that often is disappointing to the team because, you know, there's always a budget, right? Right. No matter who the client is. And, you know, if they're, if they're interviewing multiple GCs, we've lost many a job because we're not telling them what they want to hear on the budget. Exactly. But we're like telling them what we know they're going to have to face eventually. So, (laughs) you know, the longer we've been in business, the more people are seeking us out, like both architects and clients for what we were able to do instead of, um, you know, like who's going to tell us the price that's most appealing and that makes us feel good in the short term. (laughs) Right, right. Projects, the the pain of the reality of what things cost is going to happen either sooner or later, right? And so to do it the way you do it uh, by providing a realistic price um, and a budget. So, so everybody understands this is what this thing's going to probably cost. Um, and people may be disappointed at first, right? And they have to come to terms with that big number. Um, but the, the project, once they do that, right, they experience that pain and they come to terms with it. And now they've built, they've start building a relationship with this team that's behind them. Right, the, that pain of what that thing is going to cost is typically behind them, and so the rest of the project runs much more smoothly. The relationships strengthen, and the project is is built as a collaborative team effort, um, and ultimately the client is super happy at the end. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free 
and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. It's free. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. Freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's artcat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. You hit the, the number that you, you set them up for that expectation up front, and now at the end, they're happy because they have the project, the project went smoothly. The, the, the flip side of that is to do it the other way and make the client really happy up front because the number is what they thought it was going to be, and then knowing all along that it's going to go up and up and up and up, and so now that pain that could have happened in the beginning and the client could have gotten over it, now happens in these incremental little bursts throughout the project when the next change order comes through. There's another conflict and the relationship is degraded, another conflict. And then they, and then they, and at the end, 
they have their project, they paid the same amount, but the relationships are broken. Yeah, I took over a project once for a general contractor um, who died. And it, it, it's a crazy story because it was actually my boyhood home uh, where my father and mother had their architectural and interior design practice for a good part of my life. And I found out from people that worked for the GC that his perspective on the project was that the, there was a lot of missing information on the drawings and that he would sort of come in with an attractive price knowing that when those drawings got fleshed out and completed, that he would be able to get a lot of change orders. And that was exactly what you were speaking of as a literal just sort of business approach. It's, it's, a, it's a model, right? And some contractors use that model and other contractors use the model that you have. My experience and my best projects, not only the best designed projects, but the best uh, project process has always been partnering with the contractor early on, getting a realistic estimate early on, having that estimate be revised throughout the process, that relationship building throughout that process. And so when you get to the construction part, everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what's going to cost. The relationships are the same, you know, that, that are strong because that's a big piece of it, right? Is the, is the, are the relationships between architects and general contractors and the mindset of, you know, when that big crisis comes, because there always are crises in the middle of projects, right? That's another expectation that needs to be set with clients that that's going to happen as part of the process. But when you have a team, a collaborative partnership, those, those crises become much more easily managed than when you don't have a collaborative team and everybody's pointing fingers at one another. Um, it's a much different model. Our, our approach early on was, you know, we can please an owner one time. Right. And maybe in five years, they might recommend us to a friend. But if we please the architect and they have a really enjoyable collaborative experience, one, you know, just the fact that the GC and the owner and the architect are still talking to each other at the end of the job <laughs> right. is often um, extraordinary. But if the architect, you know, lives through the experience and enjoys it, then they can just be a constant source of new projects. So we, we've always emphasized um, trying to, you know, build relationships with the design community. Um, and sometimes, <laughs> it, it, you know, that becomes a tricky place for us because it's a dance that we have to dance because often if there's a situation we're in because let's say there was an incomplete aspect of the design that uh, it, you know caused a change order or a problem or something in order for us to explain ourselves or defend us let's say a change order you know, if we didn't care about the relationship with the architect, the classic general contractor thing is to sort of 
you know, maybe, uh, well, maybe, you know, speak the facts, but not necessarily worry about doing it in a tactful way that could burn a bridge. Right. Uh, so, so we find ourselves often sort of in this tight spot where we may need to say some things to protect ourselves, but we have to do it in a very tactful way to not, uh, you know, um, risk the relationship between a client and the architect being harmed in any way. Right. Right. And I, I love the three legged stool of architect, contractor, owner, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the design building because in our world, the architect is um, supervising and observing our work to make sure that we don't take any shortcuts for the client. But at the same time, we're often tasked with keeping an eye on the design team to make sure that um, the budget can be attained that we all agreed on. So yep. it's a it's a checks and balances in a mutual way, which can be a really enjoyable experience. Like we have architects that will call us in early and maybe they'll bring in like the structural engineer and we'll just, we'll have some rough schematic concepts, but we'll kick it around like from a means and methods and building efficiency perspective of like, we kind of know the owner wants to spend this much money. How can we do this? Uh, kicking around ideas. And to me, that feels awesome because we're not just a commodity that whoever's the low bidder or the appropriate bidder gets the job, but like any, any GC that's around can do the job. It, often when there's like an award to a project, it's much more about the design than it is a, about the contractor, unfortunately. You know, there's sort of the stigma that the GC is, is replaceable with the next guy. And uh, we really enjoy when our participation is valued and we can collaborate with the team, especially from a very early stage. And, uh, you know, we, we consult on obviously pricing, um, means and methods, uh, engineering, like sometimes we'll be tasked with doing earth retention or waterproofing, which can sometimes be very tricky. Um, or, you know, let's say, uh, you know, assisting with all the information for the permit process. And uh, we found that the best projects are when the owner is trusting enough right. to be able to commit to a general contractor in the very early stages of the process so that the GC is invested in participating because they're part of the team and it ends up sort of fast tracking the process and um, getting that really great chemistry of that collaboration um, from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does take a lot of sort of trust 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, the trust is critical. It, it is both for general contractors and architects that the owner trusts us to do what we do. And that's a hard thing to do, right? Because trust is earned. And if somebody doesn't know you, that's something that you have to, you, you earn over experience, right? So your reputation helps you bring trust, but also the way you handle yourself in situations build trust. Um, and so by architects and contractors partnering up, right, you can build those relationships. You can start to, to learn to trust one another. Um, and the owners can trust you. Our best projects have been the ones that the, pro the owner has trusted us to design our best work, right? Gives us a budget, say, this is what I need to spend. This is what I want to build. Now go do it, right? And don't, don't second guess the architect or don't second guess the contractor. Let us do what we do. And those projects always come out the best. They're the best designed, they're the best built, and they have happy clients at the end. Um, but that's difficult sometimes to find that. I think that architects, because of maybe from an ego perspective, want to be able to tell the client that they know what stuff costs, right? Because if you've been doing it long enough, maybe you should know that, right? Maybe. But as we know, <laughs> the last two years, um, how would you be really aware of yeah. these dramatic in commodities if you're not the one that's hiring all the subs and hearing all the stories but my father was pretty um unusual his name is was seymour goldberg um not bertrand <laughs> um but he would if his clients asked him to tell them what a project would cost his his stock answer was talk to a contractor because I don't know what things cost. I'm an architect. And, you know, that's disappointing for the client to hear, but kind of like you said, you got to either like face the music now or later. But uh, I think that a lot of architects would prevent themselves from getting into a bind, which is ended in many, many lawsuits uh, where the client's upset that the architect misled them on what the project was going to cost. And the client decides to either cancel the project and doesn't want to pay the architect. I mean, how many times has that happened, right? But I thought it was pretty um, brave of my father to just say, I don't know what it costs. I'm an architect. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's pretty rare, I think, for an architect to be that honest. And why put yourself in a spot to, you know, profess to be an expert on what construction costs when you're an architect? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and that's it. I, I think that is the... Um, that is the correct answer. Your father's answer was the correct answer. I don't know. It's it. I'm the architect. That's a that's a question for the general contractor, and then and then you. That's a perfect opportunity to earn trust with a client, right? Being honest. That right. That's not my position. I don't know. Let's go find a contractor who knows, and then introduce them to a contractor who knows, 
and allow that contractor to do their thing, right? That earns trust with the contractor and starts to build that relationship. And so it, it's, it's, much, it's much about trust, right? And earning trust. Um, is, do you have advice for the architects who are listening uh, on how to, um, or maybe let me position the question this way. Are there specific things that you do as a general contractor when you meet a new architect to communicate the way you work, right? Because we were talking earlier about the differences between contractors or among contractors and, and you are the contractor that architects are looking for. So is there a specific way that you can quickly to communicate that to an architect? Well, my, the first thing I would say, maybe it's a little corny, but that we want to be a collaborator with them and you know make the experience an enjoyable experience so because build that's not corny at all that's exactly what architects want to hear <laughs> i mean building and i tell clients this you know <laughs> i've seen multiple projects literally end in divorce before the project's even over because it can be extremely stressful yeah but I tell people on the front end that, you know, building a project is a luxury and it can be a really fun, awesome experience of seeing something come from design from a blank page to becoming a building is awesome. And we should all enjoy doing it together. And at the end of the day, end of the job, like feel like you know we've had clients that like call us the architect and our team like the dream team through the project and just love it and then afterwards be like oh i miss my dream team i mean that's <laughs> exactly. awesome yeah you know yeah. and so it's like take a minute to realize that like even though you're going to have to make thousands upon thousands of decisions and it's going to be anxiety uh, provoking because you don't know if you pick X, Y, and Z that each one of those decisions might be a good decision in isolation. Obviously, the composition of those things altogether might not be a success or it might be amazing, but that's why it's one of the reasons it's stressful, right? Um, but it, you want to enjoy it and have good chemistry of the team. Um, yeah, so, so for a young architect or, you know, an architect that wants to have in, an enjoyable experience, um, I would say trust and, and also um, you know, do the things you do well, but admit the things that you need others to yeah. help with and sort of uh, bring in the team, you know? Yeah, Res respect others the way you wanna be respected. I mean, you want to be given the opportunity to do what you do best, do the same for the others on the team. Allow, allow the contractor to do what they do best and uh, and let the owner do what they do best and and the project will come out beautifully. It's kind of corny, but we have this glass panel in our stairwell with our logo. And I had three words under it. It was uh, patience, 
trust and honesty, which I, it's corny. Yeah. But I really think that in the long run, if you're all those things that, um, you, someone's going to want to reach out and, yeah. and work with you again, patience, trust, and honesty. That's the formula, the formula for a successful project. Jake, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me here. This has been a really uh, interesting conversation. I've enjoyed it. I wanted to ask you, uh, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I, I would say um, for themselves personally and for their staff is to really explore and experience um, building outside of the theoretical of like physically yeah, YouTube is an amazing uh, avenue to learn about everything. <laughs> I mean, everybody's like volunteering all, all volunteering all this free information. I would just say like learning about actually how things are built from the nitty gritty of like the mason mixing yeah. up the mortar and how he's applying it to the bricks and to you know how the carpenter's framing a roof is like just you know I, I like the fact that you uh took the time in your career to explore that side of it so that you know like in germany uh or in sort of an old school approach you know, there'd be a long apprenticeship maybe for an architect to uh, be working in construction, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's such a, when I was in my first year out of college, I was doing everything myself physically. And I'd be like loading a dumpster with garbage and thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> my friends are you know, have these corporate jobs and, and I'm thinking like, I'm working as a, a laborer schlepping garbage, but those early years of my construction experience are what was the foundation of everything that I do today. Um, you know, if a plumber or an electrician or a Mason tries to tell me something I know what they're talking about because I've right. physically done it. So it just, um, people know that about me, but, you know, they're not going to try to like pull the wool over my eyes, which, you know, you can get a lot of from tradespeople. So I think just like paying your dues uh, by learning about physical construction is a great um, foundation for a, a general contractor or, or, especially an architect. Yeah, that's great advice to, to just get out there and get out into the construction field and, and get your hands dirty. Just do yeah. some of it. Watch watch it and watch others do it, but also you get out there and do it. Go mix some concrete. Go yeah. lay some bricks, right? Go well, go lay yeah. some tile. It's, it's easy to criticize like how much somebody says, how many hours somebody says it's going to take to right. physically something but if you actually go to try to do that thing yourself and you're like oh my god i thought it'd be done three days ago it's like i get it you know exactly exactly 
Uh, great advice. His name is Jake Goldberg. The company is Goldberg General Contracting Incorporated in Chicago. Go check out the website, GGC, Goldberg General Contracting, ggcinc.net, ggcinc.net is the website. We'll have links to that on the show notes. Jake, I've really enjoyed our time today, uh, getting to know you, getting to understand where you've come from, uh, talking a little bit about how general contractors and architects uh, can build better businesses, can build better projects by being more collaborative. It's been a, it's been a, a lot of fun, and I appreciate you coming by here today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for thinking of us, and I really enjoyed it too. Great to talk to you, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share it, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us and if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. 
Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.